Hello, Chapel Hill. Uh, my name is Rachel Toon. I'm the other Toon, uh, clearly the better looking one, but you know, I'm in North Carolina, so it doesn't matter so much. Uh, and it is a real uh, pleasure and a delight for me to be able to be with you all, be with you. This is weird, um, but I'm glad to do it in whatever capacity that I can. And I bring you greetings from Montreat College, uh, where I'm the Dean of Spiritual Formation. Greetings from the college, greetings from President Paul Maurer. So we're sending you some love from the Appalachian Holler. Uh, and it is a real joy uh, to be able to speak uh, with you all uh, this message this morning. And my friends, these are, these are interesting days, aren't they? There's just, it's just a, a strange time. There's a lot going on. We all feel it. We all sense it. And though a lot of times it's just kind of difficult to put into words what we're feeling. And so what I found to be very helpful is my college students continue to, continue to blow my phone up with a lot of memes that I found to be very cathartic. So I thought I would share with you a few of the real, real highlights. So I, uh, I hope you have found that edifying uh, as it has been for me. And the fact is, my friends, that all throughout history, uh, it has taken events like world pandemics, and this is not the first one, by the way, lest you were surprised, not even close, uh, to get people to, as they say, feel their feelings, right? To, to get people to that necessary place where we actually start to ask some of those big questions that we don't ask when we're caught up in just the busyness of, of normal life. Uh, like, what makes my life matter? How do I live well in these times? And where is God in all of this, this craziness? And perhaps the bigger questions are not so much the why or where, but the who and what. Who is God, really? And what kind of a God would allow this kind of suffering to continue on such an extensive level? And these are hard, real questions. And we're not the first to ask them because the Bible, the Bible is full of these moments, of these questions, even of these pandemics. And today we're going to look at a passage that's going to give us an up-close and personal view of what God is actually like and what he has to do with us and with these hard times. But before we get there, there's a backstory that we have to cover. Uh, because we meet Moses in Exodus 2 as a cute little baby in the basket. And then he grows up within a couple of verses to be this sophisticated, well-educated, rising political star in the Egyptian government. And then something happens. He gets caught up in a scandal, because that's never happened in politics before. He, he kills somebody, and he's got to bounce. And so he flees from Egypt to Midian, which is the, roughly the equivalent of leaving Capitol Hill in D.C. to the Appalachian Holler, where I currently live. I have a mechanic named Goat and a neighbor named Rabbit. Uh, and so that's where Moses winds up. And so uh, when we meet him in chapter 3, he's 80 years old and a washout. Right? Someone who had a chance at all this, this prestige and potential and power and who blew it. And so he settled down, and 40 years later, he's married, and he's assumed that he's just condemned to babysit his father-in-law's sheep for the rest of his life. Or so he thought. And that is where our story picks up in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. 
And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses is out with his sheep. He's minding his own business, and he sees something really weird. My Appalachian cabin is heated by a wood stove. I would love to have a bush that would not burn up, but alas, it's not so. Um, But Moses sees one, and so he goes over to take a look, and God has his attention. And then a little bit weird gets really weird very quickly, and it starts with Moses' name, Moses, Moses. God calls Moses' name twice. And this is actually a really big deal uh, because scholars call this a repetition of endearment, uh, which is a glorified way of saying that in this ancient culture, when you said somebody's name twice, everybody knew that meant that you were communicating affection, tenderness, friendship. It was endearing. And so when Moses hears his name twice, as one commentator would have put it, He would have understood immediately that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and who was concerned about him. So, from the first two words of this whole wild conversation, we learn a really important thing about what God is actually like. He cares. He starts from this place of endearment, affection, and tenderness for just one particular person. And that's really good news because we learned very quickly uh, the next really important thing about God and the next words that come out of his mouth, which is, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you're standing is holy ground. God is holy. And that's kind of a weird word for us. Um, Holiness is not a thing that we necessarily have a cultural box for. It's actually rather helpful that God appears in fire in this instance, because that's kind of a helpful illustration uh, for what's going on. Because if you throw a candy wrapper into a fire, what happens? It burns up, right? The, The substance of the candy wrapper just can't take the heat of a fire. That's just how it works. And God's holiness operates in a a similar way. That's the reality of where humans stand in the presence of the glory of God. Because we're a hot, sinful mess, and sin burns up in God's presence. That's just how it works. And so God is telling Moses to keep his distance, not because he doesn't want him around. It's because for Moses to behold the full glory of God would incinerate him. So more than anything, this tender, affectionate 
caring God wants to be with his people. But at this point in the story, sin is still in the way. It's still a barrier and protective measures must be, tape, must be taken. And Moses gets the memo because in verse 6, he what? Hides his face. He covers his face. And of course, we wouldn't know anything about that, would we? Or maybe we do. Maybe we've spent the last two months on Zoom, Lord help me, and FaceTime, and Microsoft Teams, and wearing our face masks to the grocery store. And it's not because we're trying to keep people at a distance, is it? It's because we want to be close. It's we want to be with them. And I will say, as a side note, by far the highlight to my COVID experience was the guy I saw in the grocery store in North Carolina who was wearing a Batman mask. Um, it didn't actually cover his lower face, just his eyes, but he, and I quote, said, what, they just said face covering, they did not specify. Um, he had a point. Uh, maybe missing the point, but nonetheless. But it's not because we want to be separated from people. We want to be near them, but we also want to protect them from the dangerous reality of the world that we are in right now of the reality of what we are currently facing. And in this particular period of history, we're in the Zoom call phase with God. God wants to be with his people in a lot of ways he is, but because of our sin and because of his holiness at this stage in the game, there are necessary protective measures and barriers to God's communication and to his presence. And that's not going to last forever. The sin quarantine does lift, Uh, And we do get to see God face to face, but that is getting ahead of the story. So you got to sit tight. Because in the the midst of this this profound declaration of the holiness of God, we come right back around to the tenderness of God. And that's back in verse 7. If you got your Bibles out, if you want to cheat and look at the screen, I think it's up there someplace. Um, Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. God sees. God hears. God cares. This magnificently holy creator of the universe, to even just behold his presence with zap us like mosquitoes, is really, really concerned about the well-being of this puny little people group just having a hard time in Egypt. God cares. God's holy and tender. These two characteristics that don't seem to fit together at all, and yet we find them in the person of God. But Moses still has questions uh, about this, this caring and holy God who's talking to him out of a burning tumbleweed, and so they continue to have this conversation, which brings us to the next part of the story, and that's in verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, <clears throat> The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So it's helpful to bear in mind that at this point in world history, there's a lot of gods to choose from, and as far as everybody, anybody's concerned, everybody's at least a little bit right. Sound familiar? 
Um, and so Moses needs some, some clarification in this instance. Who am I actually talking to? Uh, but there's actually more even to that question because names in this culture in the ancient Near East were a really big deal. They're a lot more than just an arbitrary label that we assign because it sounded nice. Uh, names actually embody essential qualities about you. So it's less of a who question and more of a what question. What are you actually like? What's your deal? Um, what kind of God are you? What makes you different from the gods of Egypt? What makes you different from Islam, from Buddhism, from postmodernism? What, what are you really like? And that's the question that actually matters, doesn't it? It's not enough to simply believe that there may be a God out there. That doesn't tell us anything. That's not helpful. Uh, what we really need to know is if there is, in fact, a God, what kind of God is he? Distant? Apathetic? Vindictive? Angry, uninvolved, or somebody who may be entirely different from our our rather low expectations. And so we find ourselves at one of the most pivotal moments in the history of the world because God actually tells us what he's like in his own words with his own name. And that's in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, to really get to the good stuff in all this, you're going to become Hebrew scholars in the next five minutes, so prepare yourselves. Um, Nerd alert, slide the glasses up if you have them. Uh, So an important thing that you really need to know about Hebrew is it likes to play play fast and loose with grammar and with tense. In fact, it doesn't actually have tense I don't really get how, I still don't really understand how that works, but it's true. Uh, So sometimes you can have a word or a phrase that actually hold multiple meanings at the same time. And it's in a way really just the English can't do. And so in this case, God's name means both of these things simultaneously. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. God is who he is. He's the essence and the author of reality itself, which is neither subjective nor open to interpretation. He's the creator God, the God who brought everything that exists in all of creation out of nothing. God will be who he will be. He is the sustainer of all things. He never changes. He's never surprised. He's the rules over time, the past and the present and the future. And he's guiding history towards his good and perfect purposes, no matter how hard humans try and screw it up. He's the creator, sustainer, Lord of creation, Lord of history, redeemer of both. Holy, tender. He is He was, he is, he is to come. He has no rival, he has no equal, and he will set his people free. And he doesn't stop there. Because God knows that I am who I am and I will be who I will be doesn't really roll off the tongue very easily. So um, God can work with that. And in the next verse, he gives us his proper name, which is a shortened version of what we just read. And this is so we will know what to call him. Uh, In the next verse, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And if you are reading the OH, as I like to say, the original Hebrew, 
God's proper name is not Lord. God's name is Yahweh. That's the first name of God, Yahweh. But in your English Bibles, verse 15 probably reads the Lord, and that actually comes from a Jewish tradition that so deeply respected the name of God, they didn't want to profane it, and so they were so hesitant to speak or even write it out, they created an alias, the Lord. And we have used that alias in our translations ever since, for a long time. But in Exodus 3, God is not asking us to play it safe. He knows your name. He's calling it twice with tenderness and interest and affection. And he wants you to know his. He wants to know us and to be known by us. He wants you to know what he really, who he really is, what he's really like. The sovereign Lord of all of the universe wants you to call him by his first name. And with that, that revelation of who God is, holy and tender, creator, sustainer, Moses, we realize, has a mission. And we learn something else about God. God is a rescuing God. And Moses has a job to do. So we are back at verse 16. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch up my hand and strike the Egyptians with all of the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So, Moses is to go back to Egypt, rally the elders, go before the most powerful man on earth and convince him to let his free labor go because Yahweh, the God of nobody, Israel, that he's probably never heard of, said to do so. And God is well aware of how that's going to turn out. And so he says what he's going to do about it if you go back to verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. What are the wonders God's talking about? They're the plagues, right? Have you ever watched the Prince of Egypt? The frogs, the flies, the boils, the hail, like those, those are the wonders, um, and we're what, more acquainted with plagues than we want to be, thanks to COVID-19. And so it's really worth asking, what is so wonderful about a plague? And there's really, the answer to that question is really important because it directly ties back into who God really is. He is the rescuer, which means his judgments, though terrifying, really is a wonder because it creates room for grace. It cleans out all the junk and all the bad so that redemption and good can happen. And as some of you are listening to this Exodus story, you're hearing yourself in the cries of the people of Israel. 
The COVID quarantine is not a glorified staycation for you uh, because you've got an alcoholic spouse or you've maybe got a mom and dad who are just fighting a lot because they're so stressed out. You're really drowning in anxiety and depression or maybe you're a single mom who's very quickly running out of energy and running out of options. So to the sick, the desperate, the suffering, the communities of color who are crying out for justice, hear this. I am, hears you. He sees. He knows. He cares. And he will deliver you. And we don't know why Israel had to wait 400 years for freedom. We don't know why God allows suffering to go on for so long. Scripture does not give us easy answers to those questions. And we may not trust the circumstances we are surrounded by. But can we trust his character? That's the real question. Because God has promised that he will make everything right in the end. That one day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things will have finally passed away. And I am asks you to trust him. Trust that he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And that he will set his people free at just the right time. Also, we each really need to ask something of ourselves, Western American Christians, because we really want to be Israel in the story. And we often think of ourselves that way. We're waiting for the rescue of God, and for many of us, that is deeply, deeply true. But what if, for many of us, we're actually Pharaoh? We're actually the one who's living as if we're in control. And what if this morning Yahweh, the creator and Lord of the universe, holy and tender and awesome, is actually asking you to let go of something? Pharaoh was the wealthiest, most powerful man in all of the world. Egypt was the wealthiest and most powerful nation in all of the world. Sound familiar? Who was this God? of nobody Israel, to demand that Pharaoh let his people go? Who do you think you are, God, to demand that I give something up? That I let go of my identity and my career, my security and my stock portfolios, my control over my children, my pleasure in pornography, that I, that I give up my temper, my selfishness, my greed, my arrogance, That I give up my time or my money to actually care for the widow or the foster kid or the immigrant family or the single mom who lives a few blocks away from me. Who do you think you are? Just be warned, church. I am going to answer that question. I am continues to stand up to power. And sometimes it's only when we lose the things that were precious to us that we didn't even realize were precious to us that we realize we were loving the wrong thing. Especially when it comes to a God, the God we serve who says, I will not give my glory to another. And it's worth noting that when all this stuff got started, in a matter of days, the NCAA, the MLB, the NBA were shut down. The Dow dropped 2,000 points. And all of a sudden, all these career professionals were sent home on a mandatory Sabbath where they actually had to actually be around their kids. Literally overnight... I am struck down the American gods of entertainment and wealth and success. And he will strike down any idol in our culture and in our own hearts that tries to compete with his glory. 
Why? Because Yahweh cares about you. Because those things are poisoning you. And because Yahweh is holy and he's not going to be compared to other powers. And because he's the rescuer God who won't just deliver us from COVID. He won't just deliver us from death. He won't just deliver us from the injustice that permeates our social systems. He will do whatever it takes to deliver us from ourselves. And he already has. Because a thousand years after the exodus, I am finally broke the sin quarantine. The same I am who, who delivered the Hebrews from Pharaoh, who parted the Red Sea, walked on water. And when the disciples cried out in absolute terror, he said, take courage. I am. I am. See, I am appeared to us in person by another name. Jesus, which means God saves. And when the soldiers came, they asked for Jesus of Nazareth so they could arrest him. And Jesus responded, I am he. And the power of those words knocked everybody to the ground. And then Jesus walked voluntarily to the cross so he could beat COVID and death and racism and injustice and Satan and all of the sin that poisons our own hearts. I am sent his son so that we could finally see him face to face. So that when he calls our name twice, we can hear him and look him in the eye. Will you pray with me? Lord, Yahweh God of creation, of history, of time, sovereign over COVID, sovereign over American culture, sovereign over our own lives. We're so glad you're in charge. And we're so glad you are who you are. That you, that you judge everything wrong in the world, but that you are holy and tender and merciful and that you sent your son to make everything right again. And we are really looking forward to that day, Lord. We want it to come quickly and we ask that by the power of your spirit and through the power of the blood of your son that you shape us to be the people who are a part of bringing your kingdom here. Because we're ready for it, God. We're crying out for it. And we know that you do what you say you will do. We love you. Make us more like you. Amen. Church, I am didn't rescue Israel because they were good. The whole rest of the Old Testament is proof of that. They were not good. I am rescued them because that's who he, who he is. That's what he does. He rescues anybody who calls out to him, who calls upon his mercy and his grace. He wants to be with you. That's the whole point. So repent and believe in the good news, because Yahweh is God. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.